If you are new here, my name is Jeff Wright. I am the worship director, and um, today we are going to continue uh, the study in the Gospel of John, continuing on in uh, John chapter 10, kind of the last half or so of uh, the chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 42 today. Pastor Nick took us through the first half of the chapter last week, and we're going to finish it off today. So if you could turn your, in your Bibles to John chapter 10, we'll read together, and then uh, we'll look at what's being taught this morning. John chapter 10, verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands." He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptized at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. So we are looking at, again, the last half of this passage. Pastor Nick took us through the first half, and Jesus communicated that he's the good shepherd, and Pastor Nick talked about what that means when he calls us his sheep and he's the shepherd, being referred to as sheep is not necessarily a good thing, but because we have a good shepherd, um, then, then we have some hope, uh, we should say. So um, when we look at this passage uh, that we're reading then, uh, we get uh, verses uh, 19 through 23, and we see the uh, Jewish people's response uh, to what is happening in the previous passage in uh, the, the first part of the chapter. So as Jesus communicates this truth about us being the sheep 
in him being the good shepherd, um, then we see their response in verse 19. It said, there was a division among the Jews because of these words. And the word for division here is the word schisma, where we get the word schism. If you think about the great schism in the church, if you're a history dork like I am, um, the word schism comes from schisma, and that means there was a, a very strict separation. There were people who thought this and people who thought this. There wasn't a lot of gray area. It was kind of black and white with the people here. And that was that division. Um, and in verse 20, it says, uh, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Uh, this sounds kind of like the, uh, the Lord, liar, and lunatic argument from C.S. Lewis, doesn't it? They call it Lewis's trilemma, where when Jesus makes these claims, he is either telling the truth, he either is the Lord, or he's purposefully deceiving everyone and lying about who he is, or he's just insane, and he's lying, but he doesn't really know. Um, he thinks he's telling the truth. And so which one of these things is it? Others said, he, uh, others said a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? This is referring back to a chapter 9, an event that just happened that we actually haven't uh, preached through yet that we're going to get to before uh, we're done with the Gospel of John. Um, but if you go back and read through... Um, Chapter 9, we see that Jesus heals a man that was born blind. So at this time, it was the Feast of the Dedication. The Feast of the Dedication was a, was a festival that was celebrating the rededication of the temple. In later years, it became known as Hanukkah. Does that sound familiar? So it was wintertime. It was around Christmas time. We're, we're getting around the time right now that all this stuff was happening. And I actually have a, a friend that... Um, uh, is a realtor out in Ohio, and he is a practicing uh, Jew. And we were talking uh, about his his faith, and I asked him what Hanukkah meant to him, since we're going to be talking about this at the time. And um, this is uh, something that he sent me about, about Hanukkah, and since we're getting close to it um, in our own uh, calendar as well. He said Hanukkah is a post-biblical holiday. He's talking about post-OT, because, uh, again, he's, he's Jewish. Uh, so it technically falls into one of our minor holidays. Hanukkah means to dedicate, gets its name from rededication of the temple in Jerusalem after we recaptured it. Hanukkah celebrates two major miracles. First, that a small group of Jewish farmers turned warriors fought and won against the world's largest and most powerful empire in the Seleucid Greeks, who had taken over Israel, banned the study of the Torah and practice of Judaism, and turned our holy temple into a shrine for their idols. In the process, they destroyed almost everything inside the temple. In Judaism, uh, from the first temple even to today in our synagogues, we have a flame we keep lit called the eternal candle light. In ancient times, it was a seven-branched candelabra we called the menorah. Um, it's actually a symbol of the Israeli government, he said. It had one candle in the middle and three candles on either side. When we recaptured the temple and went to restore its holiness and light the menorah, we found only one jar of oil left. Here comes the second miracle. It took eight days to harvest and bring new oil to the temple, and the one jar would have been enough for only one day, yet it lasted for eight full days. On Hanukkah, we light, in honor of this, a special menorah called the Hanukkah. It has one candle in the middle and the four candles on each side representing each of the days the oil stayed, the oil stayed lit. 
And so Hanukkah has its, its roots in uh, the festival that's going on here during this time, during this passage, uh, with the Feast of the Dedication. So that's, that's what the Feast of the Dedication meant to these people at this time, and, and that's what I'm, uh, how important it was. Um, so it said he was uh, walking on the uh, colonnade of Solomon. This ran on the eastern side of the Temple Mount, uh, overlooking the Kidron Valley that leads up to the Mount of Olives on the other side. And so as we start to get into verse 24 through the end of this chapter, we're going to really get into a lot of the meat of what's going on here and what Jesus is talking about in this chapter as a whole. And so we have two major thoughts that are kind of broken down into four major truths. And what it boils down to is, is have you made a decision about who Jesus is? Do you belong to him? Are you really one of his sheep, is what it boils down to. But before we get into the meat of the passage, let's pray this morning. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, that we have uh, the truth of who you are and uh, the truth of what it means to be holy and, and righteous and, and loving, uh, but also what it means to be your sheep. And so, Lord, as you reveal yourself to us through your word this morning, Lord, would you soften our hearts and our minds to your will, to your teaching. Lord, help us to understand uh, this passage so that uh, we can come to know you more and to love you more. And Lord, use me as an instrument to uh, communicate truth and love to your people here, to your sheep here this morning. And so, Lord, bless our time of worship together. We thank you for all that you've given to us here, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we come to our, our very first point uh, that we see in verses 24 through 25, and that's that we have been given plenty of evidence about who Jesus is. That should say who Jesus is, not who Jesus us. Um, I put this slide together. That's why it says is. Your notes probably say is because Wendy put it together. So uh, she... Uh, She's a lot better at not doing typos than I am, apparently. Um, but in verses 24 through 25, it says we have been, uh, or we, we see that we've been given plenty of evidence about who Jesus is. Verse 24, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in, sus in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And um, it, this is one of those instances, you, you, you see this often, right? Um, I'm, I'm a person who loves... Um, apologetics and, and theology, and I love getting in discussions with people of different faiths or of no faith and talking about these kinds of things. And you get into these kinds of discussions often uh, when you start talking about this kind of stuff. And they're like, they're like, where is this evidence? We want evidence. And you, you give them evidence, and they want a different kind of evidence. And, and so they, they come up with their own conditions of wanting to know who Jesus is or um, or how we need to answer their questions. And when you give them the answer, even though it's not exactly what they want, they keep demanding more. Jesus has already given them an answer. They already have the evidence of who Jesus is, but they're still saying, tell us, tell us, tell us. Uh, stop keeping us in suspense. The wonderful thing about Jesus when we read through Jesus' teachings in the gospel is he doesn't just tell us. He, he doesn't just say, uh, I am God. I am the, the Christ. He doesn't simply say it like that, but he does tell us and reveal that to us in a way that teaches us about why he is Christ, about how he is Christ, 
about who he is. He does it in a teaching way. So if he just says, yeah, I'm God, and see ya, and then walks away, that's not really a, a, a great sufficient answer. I mean, it kind of answers their question, but you don't get down to the meat of who Jesus really is. How is he God? Who is, what, what does that mean that he is God? And so Jesus answers in a, a semi-indirect way in order to show us and to teach us about who he is rather than just tell us. And so we come to uh, point uh, A in, within this point. Uh, we have been told who Jesus is. In verse 25, he answers them and he says, I told you and you do not believe. And so again, he's answering the question in a way that maybe they don't expect. But there are, there are other ways that we have been told about this. Um, just looking in the Gospel of John alone, in this book, um, in chapter 1, John the Baptist tells the people um, uh, before Jesus even began his ministry. John the Baptist is communicating who Jesus is. Um, in chapter 2, Jesus alludes to it when he's talk, uh, talking about destroying and rebuilding the temple. He's, again, teaching about who he is. Uh, John the Baptist testifies again in chapter 3 um, uh, when he talks about uh, he must decrease and, or he must increase and I must decrease. Uh, Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman at the well who he is in chapter 4. There's plenty of, of telling of who Jesus is, even just in this book, just in these events before we get to this point. So Jesus has told them, they just don't believe yet. We get to point B. We have been shown who Jesus is. So he's not only told us who he is, but he's shown us too. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Again, just the miracles that we have in this book uh, that, that um, probably don't equate to, I mean, they don't equate to the miracles that we have in the other books, but we know that uh, it's not even all the miracles that, that he did, that the, the ones that are just written down, because some parts in the Gospels, it just says he, he performed more, more miracles and, and did more preaching, um, and it doesn't go into detail. But just the miracles in this book, the wedding at Cana, the woman at the well, healing the official son, healing the lame, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. He's showing all these things that are evidence of who he is. And again, miracles that are not written in the Bible. So how much evidence do you need? I mean, if they're just demanding evidence, how much evidence do they really need? Well, it's not evidence that they need. What they need is point number two. They need to belong to Jesus, verses 26 through 28. Accepting evidence is not what saves a person. Seeing evidence and saying, okay, that's true, is not what saves us. Only Jesus saves us. And so we need to belong to him. Well, do you belong to him? In these verses, we have a litmus test that shows us if we belong to him. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Do you believe? That's the first part of our litmus test. Do you, verse 27, hear his voice? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Do you know him or are you known by him? And do you follow him? 
This is evidence of whether or not you belong to him. So it's not evidence that we need. It's Jesus that we need. And these conditions that he gives here were all discussed earlier in this conversation. Pastor Nick took us through, again, the beginning, uh, the, the first half of this chapter. And in verses 3 through 5 of this chapter, Jesus has already described these conditions and what these conditions look like for his, che- his sheep. Verses 3 through 5 of this chapter, John chapter 10, he says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So we've already been given these conditions. He's already told them what they need. What they need is Jesus. And so he gives these conditions, but he also describes the wonderful benefits, which I guess benefits is probably an an understatement here, the wonderful blessings, but even blessings would be an understatement here. Uh, But the wonderful benefits are blessings of belonging to him. And so we see in verse 28 that those who belong to him have eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of his hand. That is such a wonderful truth, that no one will snatch his sheep out of his hands. He expounds on this truth in, in the next verse. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. If we look at Psalm Chapter 103, verses 17 through 18. It says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. On who? Those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. That sounds like his sheep. And the steadfast love is from what? Everlasting to everlasting. Does everlasting to everlasting ever end? If we are his sheep, do we ever not have Jesus' love, the Lord's love? No. Everlasting to everlasting, forever. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, everlasting does does not end. That's literally what it means. It lasts forever. It's everlasting. His love is everlasting for his people. We look at Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as what? Sheep. We're talking about sheep right now. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
is the everlasting love that we have in God. If we are his sheep, no one, nothing can snatch us out of his hands, not even ourselves. You get that? Our sin cannot snatch us out of the hands of the Lord if we are his sheep. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I am incredibly thankful for that. This is a testament to the eternal faithfulness and love of God. Eternal faithfulness and love. But these statements aren't directed towards everybody. Right? These are God speaking to his people. All of these verses are talking about God's love for his people. God's everlasting love for his sheep. In Psalm, it says, for those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. We just read that in Psalm 103. Have loved you, he says, continued my faithfulness to you in Jeremiah 31 that we just read. In that chapter, the Lord is speaking to his people, his sheep. And then in Romans, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We just read that Paul wrote that to the Romans. But that letter was not just for any Roman who would read it. That letter was for the Roman church. At the beginning of that letter, Paul says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's the Lord's people in Rome. That's his Roman sheep. And so if we are God's sheep, we get to experience the everlasting, everlasting love of God. How wonderful that is. So do you belong to Jesus? If you do, then nothing can steal you away from him. From the power of the almighty God of the universe, nothing can steal us away from him. Hallelujah to that. And so when we put these points together, we have the first of our, of our truths, and that's since we have been given plenty evidence about who Jesus is, we need to belong to Jesus. We have the evidence. We have plenty of it. Therefore, we need to belong to him. It's not that evidence that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. But then we come to the plain answer that these people are looking for. And that's the answer in point number three. Jesus is God. Verses 30 through 38. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is confirming that he is God. Well, if he's confirming that, then that must mean that it's been mentioned before, right? But how else do we already know that he is God? Well, point A, Jesus is Emmanuel, verses 30 through 33. If we look at Isaiah 7, through, uh, 7 uh, verse 14, it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? But how do we know that this prophecy applies to Jesus? Well, look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. This is Yeshua, or Joshua is actually where we get, um, uh, Yeshua is where we get the name Joshua from. It means salvation or deliverance. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we know that that Isaiah prophecy applies to Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. So we already have our evidence. So how do we know that this is what Jesus meant in his reply? We'll look at the next verses. Keep reading. This is Exegesis 101. When you're, when you're reading a passage and you're trying to figure out what that means, keep reading a little bit because chances are you're going to get your answer right there. So look in the next verse, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Well, why are they picking up stones to stone him? They knew what he meant. They knew that he was making a claim to be God. This is why they accuse him of blasphemy. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I, am, I have showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. So that was the plain answer that they wanted. They knew it. But Jesus never backs down from his statement. They picked up stones, maybe even surrounded him, form a circle around him, getting ready to kill him for blaspheming the Lord. And he doesn't apologize. He doesn't make a correction to his statement. He stands firm. So what do we do with this? Well, he's either telling the truth or he's lying, right? We go back to that trilemma. He's either telling the truth, he is the Lord, or he's purposefully lying, or he's lying and he doesn't know it. Either he is God or he isn't. If what he says isn't true, then those people were right. If what he says is true, then we bow our knees before the Son of God, which brings us to point B. Jesus is the only one who has the right to be called the Son of God. Jesus answered them in verse 34, It is not written in your law, or is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming? Because I, I said, I am the Son of God? Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's using a little bit of sarcasm. And he's, he's kind of putting them in, in their place a little bit here. What he's referring to is in Psalm uh, chapter 82, verse 6, uh, when Israel's judges were referred to as gods because their judges here were um, uh, dispensing justice in the place of the Lord here on earth. And, um, and so uh, they were referring to the judges as gods, which is kind of a flippant way of using the word gods, Right? Um, but that, the, whole, the entirety of that, of that psalm isn't about these people being little gods on earth. What that, is, that psalm is about is the Lord's supremacy um, as the only true and, and holy 
righteous judge. But Jesus is calling out their careless use of the word God here when they look at this scripture. He's basing his whole argument on this one word in Psalms. Essentially, he's saying to them, rather than get offended about me using that word, check out these divine credentials. What are those credentials? Well, we come to point C. If you can't believe Jesus' words, then you will have to believe his works. Verses 37 through 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, we have seen his works as evidence of who he is and how marvelous his works truly were. Even the Jewish, not Christian, historian Josephus, um, Josephus was a contemporary of the apostles. Uh, He was born a little bit after the time of Jesus' death, but he was a contemporary with the apostles. Even Josephus acknowledges that Jesus did wonderful works in his time here on earth. This is what Josephus writes. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. This is a Jewish person. He wasn't even a believer. He didn't think Jesus was God, but he recognized that Jesus did some pretty amazing things and that Jesus drew lots of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, to him because of the wonderful things that he did. And so Jesus' works are evidence of who he is. He says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, claiming to be one with the Father, not shrinking from his previous statement, but building on it, standing firm on his previous statement. So in light of Jesus' claim and the evidence of his word and his works, then we get to point number four. We need to make a decision about who we think Jesus is. Verses 39 through 42. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. And so these people had made a decision about who they think Jesus is. Some tried to arrest him, right? Many came to him. Many believed in him. They acknowledged what John said about him. Well, what did John say about him? Again, if we look back earlier in the Gospel of John, uh, John the Baptist says that Jesus existed before he did. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John says that he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. John says, I must decrease and he must increase. When we look at John chapter 3, verses 28 through 36, he says, You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I, might be, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. This is John speaking earlier in the Gospel of John, and it sounds like he's saying what Jesus is telling us now. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so we see from our first two points in this passage that since we've been giving plenty of evidence about who Jesus is, we need to belong to Jesus. And from our second two points, we see that since Jesus is God, we need to make a decision about who we think Jesus is. In light of who Jesus is, we have John's bold challenge that we read from chapter 3. Will we receive Jesus' testimony and respond to the call to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that God is true? Will we believe in the Son and have eternal life, or will we refuse to obey the Son and continue in death and wrath? That's the decision that we must make. But our decision to believe is more than just an intellectual assertion. It's a personal trust in Christ alone. We're going to look at one more passage here, and that's James 2. In James 2, verses 18 and 19, James writes, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What James is saying in these two verses, in verse 18, he's saying that the faith is a heart issue. It's not a works issue. Once we have that faith, then our works will be evident to other humans. But God sees the heart. The people sees the people's the people see the evidence of our faith by our works, our works that come from our faith, but God sees our hearts. And so it's not just a matter of believing, right? Because James says in verse 19, even the demons believe. It's not a matter of believing. It's a matter of personal trust in God. The Lord doesn't want the faith of demons. He wants personal trust and submission to him. This is a decision that we cannot wait for if you have not made this decision yet. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus today, right now. If you are hearing the call to be one of Jesus' sheep and you are feeling convicted and want to respond to that call, then I would encourage you to pray this morning, to pray that uh, the Lord would soften your heart to acknowledge that he is Lord of your life, that the Lord would make it totally, plainly evident that you are one of his sheep. 
Um, I would like the elders and deacons to raise their hands here in the church this morning. If you have not made that decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and to be one of his sheep, we have our elders and deacons here. You can pinpoint one if you want. And after the service, if you want prayer from our church leadership, we would love to pray with you about that decision, about responding positively to the call to be one of Jesus' sheep. Because again, this is not a decision that can wait. It must be done today. So if you want to make that decision today, come and pray with us. I'll, I'll stick around too. We'll all be here to pray with you if you have not made that decision yet. But since we have been given plenty of evidence about who Jesus is, we need to belong to him. And since Jesus is God, we need to make a decision about who we think Jesus is. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Father, we thank you so much for showing us who you are, for telling us who you are. And Lord, we know that what you have revealed to us in your word is not a complete picture of what you are, of, of who you are. Um, but Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for even showing us a little bit because we don't deserve it, Lord. Lord, of people who are constantly in rebellion against you, of people who are constantly falling away when we should be following, of people who are constantly going astray when we should be following, Lord, we don't deserve to have you show us who you are, to show us your love, to reveal yourself to us, and yet you have. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. When we see how massive this universe is, we think about the, the biggest star or planet or galaxy and how massive that is, and, and we shrink down to the, the smallest cell or, or atom or molecule. Lord, we know that you hold all of these things in your hands, and it's so vast and so huge, and yet you still show us so insignificant here in this universe. You still show us your love and your grace and your mercy. You still come to teach us who you are. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are. So Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts to your word this morning, soften our minds to your word this morning. That if, though, uh, if, if there are some of us in here who have not recognized that we are your sheep and that we need to follow you, Lord, that you would put that on our hearts today. Lord, that we would make the commitment to trust and submit to you and to your will. Lord, may we not have the faith of demons just believing and just saying that we are Christians, but Lord, may we truly submit our hearts to you, to follow you. So thank you for this time together, Lord. May we leave here changed people than we were when we came in. And may everything that we do and, we, and say, Lord, honor and glorify you above all else. It's in your name that we pray. You can be dismissed, and again, if you would like to pray with an elder or a deacon or myself this morning, please, please do. Thank you. Have a great day.